in these verses, beginning with the 12th verse, all the way through the 30th verse. It's basically the Gita Upanishad. It's the, it's the codes of knowledge of the nature of the self. The codes whereby we can understand what is the ultimate knowledge of our true being. And it's first, let's distinguish what is our spiritual existence from what is our material existence. First of all, you are spirit soul. And there's never a time that you didn't exist. And there'll never be a time when you're not here. Can't say that about the container we're in. Unfortunately, the container gets old and you know where it ends up. One of three unfortunate places. It can end up in ashes. Well, actually, is there only two? Yes, it'll end up in ashes or it'll end up a stool. We'll either be burned up or we'll be eaten up. By little animals or big animals. In some cultures, they just put the bodies out on the side of the road and whoever's hungry, dinner time. But that has nothing to do with us. So these verses from 12 on are very, very, uh, uh, deal with our true spiritual self. Very high knowledge here. And we'll see tonight that it's kind of, although Krishna introduces it to Arjuna, he knows that Arjuna, Arjuna's position is probably, he's not ready to really employ this knowledge cent per cent, as hardly any, any of us are. Tonight, we'll see how Krishna goes from this topmost level of Sankhya Yoga, Jnana Yoga, Yogi, the yoga of discrimination between what is matter and what is spirit. And he goes back and he deals with Arjuna's predicament. This evening the verses will read, deal with that situation more in line with Ar, Arjuna's position in life. Which is where the this teacher, the spiritual guide, deals with us to begin with. He sees where we are situated in this environment of exploitation, and he deals with us according to our consciousness. And as we spoke last week, we need to seek out such a spiritual guide, such a guru, who can deal with us according to time, place, and our circumstance. That's ideal. I just want to walk through these verses real quick again. From 12 to 30. I know it's a lot, but it's, it's important for us to see what is this topmost level of transcendental under, understanding of our true spirit self. Verse 12, there's never a time when we exist, when we didn't exist, or anybody that we know, or any living entity that we come across, or any plant. They're all spirit soul. They're all equal. Of course, in this relative domain, some have superiority over others. Those that have legs eat those that don't have legs. Next verse, Dehi no Shmin. As the body continually passes 
from boyhood to youth to middle age to old age to death, the soul simply passes into another body after the end of this body. Now, some of us are young in this room and some of us are old. Let's ask the old people, do you feel old? Yes. <laughs> Sometimes. Do you feel old because you think you're your body? Or do you still have thoughts of youthful enjoyment? No, it's my body. It's your body. You recognize that the body's old. But you still feel, as far as your, your sense of, of self, the same as you did when you were a young child. Wiser, older. <laughs> yes. Yes. But we can see that there's this sense is the same. What, what is that sense? That sense is the consciousness that permeates this body. The non-permanent appearance of happiness and distress. Martris Barsas Dukauteya. Sitos Natsuka Dukkha. Happiness and distress. And their disappearance are like the appearance and disappearance of the seasons of the year. They arise from what the senses pick up. And you know the senses sometimes see what is happiness becomes distressful and what is distressful becomes happiness. You ever notice that in your life where at one point in your life you saw one thing as really giving you pleasure, giving you happiness. And then later with years and wisdom as you mentioned, the same thing is like, I really am not going to go out in a convertible and, uh, you know, whatever the thought of youthful pleasure may be, now you look on that and you say, wow, kids, I used to be one, but I couldn't do that again, and I really would not find happiness doing what I did in my youth. In fact, I'm a little repulsed to even think about what I used to do. (laughs) Things change in our life. Again, Krishna is expertly using these simple explanations to let us, and specifically Arjuna, but through Arjuna, us, see what what is the true essence of your being and what is not. What are you and what aren't you? You aren't those happiness and distress. You aren't that body that's changing from boyhood to youth to old age. These aren't you. There's something a little different. There's something unique about what you really are. And then he goes on to say, in the 15th verse, if you're not disturbed by this so-called happiness and distress which is associated with your body, you're a candidate for spiritual advancement. You're eligible for liberation just by having that knowledge that my true pleasures have nothing to do with the pleasures that come to me by these senses. Those who are seers of the truth can concluded, have concluded that of the non-existent, the material body, there is no endurance, and of the eternal soul there is no change. This they have concluded by studying the nature of both. Again, as I said, these, these verses are almost like codes. What knowledge is there? If you tr- people that truly see the truth see that the body is non-existent, 
What's non-existent? What does it mean? Does it mean we don't have a body? No, we all have a body. Everyone here's got a body. What's not? What's he mean by non-existent? It doesn't endure. It's temporary. Well, the seers of the truth look at the temporary as of no significance. No true It doesn't last. So what's it have to do with reality? It's here today and gone tonight. It's fly by night. It's just like a... It's, a, it's like a hallucination. That's the way the saints and sages see things. So Arjuna, see the way that the really intelligent knowers of their spiritual life see life. And they don't see the body as having any significance at all. They don't pay a lot of attention. They take care of it, feed it, clothe it, but really... It's not where the true pleasure of life is. Why? Because the enjoyments are what? Sukaduka. Sometimes happiness is there. Sometimes distress is there. Sometimes what was happy makes me sad. Sometimes what made me sad now makes me happy. Really has nothing. No. What's it have to do with my spirit? With my true being? That which pervades the entire body you should know to be indestructible. What is that indestructible element? So, time. Time? No, the indestructible element that pervades the body. What, what are we aware of in the body? Consciousness. Our consciousness pervades the whole body. Right? right? It comes from the spirit, but the consciousness is the vehicle that lets us experience this body. No one is able to destroy the imperishable soul. And as you said, the soul is the source of that consciousness. The material body of the indestructible, immeasurable, and eternal living entity is sure to come to an end. Therefore, fight, O descendant of Bharat. Again, is this enough knowledge to get you to go and do your duty? Can you, can you go with this just knowing that you are spirit soul? You should be able to, but we don't see that Krishna stops the instruction there because Arjuna's not jumping back on the chariot. He's not again picking up his bow and his quiver of arrows and saying, let's go, I understand, I'm not the body, let's, let's, let me, okay, fine, thanks for your advice. No, it's like, it's not quite, he's not quite convinced. Neither he who thinks the living entity the slayer, nor he who thinks... It is slain is in knowledge, for the self slays not, nor is slain. This is a pretty esoteric stuff. Arjuna is a warrior, and there's, there's, this, there's Krishna giving his knowledge and saying, now realize that when you go and fight someone, you don't really kill anybody, and if somebody kills you, they're not really killing you. Now I've already told you your spirit, soul... You, your consciousness, you pervade the body. There's never a time that you're not going to be. Don't take pleasure in, in, in the happiness and distress of this world. Kind of overwhelming knowledge. It's a lot. O Partha, how can a person who knows that the soul is indestructible, I'm sorry, indestructible, eternal, unborn, and immobile, oh, uh, and immutable, kill anyone or cause anyone to kill? Yes, sir. Just give one verse. Ah, I skipped 20. Oh, yes, of course. Najate, Briyate, Vakada, Chin. 
For the soul there's never birth nor death, nor having once been, does he ever cease to be. Then we have this other thing happening here. He has not come into being. He does not come into being. He will not come into being. Okay. I'll give you a different, a different translation in English. Never was, uh, for the soul there's never birth nor death, nor having once been does he ever cease to be. He is unborn, eternal, ever existing and undying. He is not slain when the body is slain. I like the poetic one a little bit better than this. The but the point's the same. The primeval means undying? Ever existing. Primeval. I don't know what primeval means. Older than the oldest. <laughs> Oh, yeah, ancient, uh, yeah. Yes, ancient. How can a person who knows that the soul is indestructible, eternal, unborn, and immutable kill anyone or cause anyone to be killed? A person who puts on new garments, giving up the old ones, the soul similarly accepts new material bodies, giving up the old and useless ones. I mean, this is great knowledge if you can, if you can put, your, put your head around it. But can you really go from moment to moment in your life seeing everything in this way because we're so much ingrained in our bodily consciousness. As I said, this is a very, this is the knowledge of Sankhya. What is matter and what is spirit? It's jnana knowledge. It's, it's a very high level of upasandic knowledge. The soul could never be cut into pieces by any weapon, nor burnt by fire, nor moistened by water, nor withered by the wind. But I tell you, it felt cold outside today. I mean, it's good to know that my soul was not being affected, but really, I'm glad I had a coat on. <laughs> the individual soul is unbreakable and insoluble and can be neither born, burned nor dried. He is everlasting, present everywhere, unchangeable, immovable, and eternally the same. It is said that the soul is invisible, inconceivable, and immutable. Knowing this, you should not grieve for the body. If, however, you think... Now, if you can't get your mind around the fact that you're a soul, if you're an atheist, if you think that you have evolved, okay, let's deal with you on that level. Let me give you an explanation for why you should do your duty in life, even if you have an atheistic mentality. Krishna's covering his faces here. Because why? Because sometimes the guru has to deal with our lack of even basic comprehension of spiritual knowledge. Sometimes we just can't wrap our mind around spiritual concepts due to our material conditioning. Now, by a process of purification, our consciousness becomes clear, and what was once very difficult for us to understand becomes easy. But in the beginning, sometimes the concept, sometimes even the words. I mean, when I first read the books of my spiritual master, I'd read pages and I would just be like, so many words, so I didn't understand so much. Also, now I'm older, maybe a little wiser, I could understand some of these things. Maybe not. 
But the point is, as we advance in spiritual life, don't we see life differently? Even someone who has the misconception of atheistic philosophy can advance spiritually. Otherwise, why would Krishna waste his time in putting forth that argument? If, however, you think that the soul or the symptoms of life is always born and dies forever, well, we certainly know there's a class of men that think when you're dead, you're dead. I've met them. I'm sure you all have. It's over. This is it. When you check out of this one, what you just... Uh, wow, I can't even conceive of it, but their conception is, that's it. If you think like that, you still have no reason to lament. Well, why lament? I mean, if it's all over, then who are you really killing? You're not killing anyone because there's no nothing there. It's just a lump of flesh. It's just come into being somehow or other. It's crawled up out of the mud and, you know, walked around as a little creepy crawler and then it grew bigger legs and flew and, and then it became a, a monkey and then you then here you are. Good for you. One who has taken his birth is sure to die and after death one is sure to take birth again. Let's get back to reality here. When you die you do take birth again. So forget your atheistic viewpoint. Therefore, in the unavoidable discharge of your duty, you should not lament. All created meetings are manifest in their beginning. I'm sorry, unmanifest in their beginning, manifest in their interim state, and unmanifest again when annihilated. So what need is there for lamentation? Some look on the soul as amazing. Some describe him as amazing. And some hear of him as amazing while others, even after hearing about him, cannot understand him at all. Even you hear all this knowledge of your spiritual nature. You can't be burnt by fire, you can't be withered by the wind, you go through your body, just as a child goes from boyhood to youth to old age, when the body's over, you start the cycle again. The cycle of samsara. Can they conceive of it? Some people hear this, and it just it doesn't doesn't ring true to them. Well, why that? We will, we will just go into all the details of why true spiritual knowledge, devoid of religious dogma, doesn't ring true with people. Why is it some people get it and some people don't? We'll go into Krishna will explain all that. And there are his external energies, and his external energies can be very bewildering based on how much we become involved continually in exploitation. This is not a class here for exploiting. You're not going to come here and learn in this room how to go out and enjoy your senses. You will learn here how you are spirit soul and how to relish spiritual pleasure transcendental pleasure with purified senses. That's the process of Krishna consciousness. That's the process of self-realization. In hearing spiritual concepts, if we are still immersed in exploitive consciousness, we have a hard time comprehending spiritual truths. But in good association, 
taking good instruction, making a, a few little minor adjustments to our lifestyle, our consciousness can become purified. And this knowledge can come and it can enliven us. And we can enjoy transcendental pleasure on the spiritual platform continually. So, tonight's class. A change is make, being made here. In the 30th verse, Krishna wraps up. Wrapping up his knowledge of yawn. O descendant of Bart, he who dwells in the body can never be slain. Therefore you need not grieve for any living being. Take all the knowledge that we've discussed here, starting with verse 12 all the way through this verse, and understand you should do what's, what's your duty. Now, what we're going to discuss tonight is Krishna backs off. He's laid a lot of knowledge on Arjuna. Heavy spiritual knowledge. Now he backs off and he places things in perspective that a perspective that will be more familiar with Arjuna's current condition in life. He set a groundwork. And you will see as the Bhagavad Gita progresses, Krishna is going to build on these various concepts. But he has to keep the attention of his student, doesn't he? So he can't just keep going into deeper and deeper yawn because that's not Arjuna's nature. So now, starting with this verse, 31. Considering the fact that you're a, a fighter. He, let's take Arjuna back. He's taking Arjuna down a little. Considering you're a fighter, that's what you do in life. That's what a Kshatriya is. And if you read the purports, Bhaktivedanta explains what Kshatriya means. What was his explanation? Harm. Yes, the word is there. Kshatriya. Uh, shot means hurt. And trayate, to give protection. So in human society, the Kshatriyas give protection to mankind. All right, I've mentioned this before and I'll mention it again. I know it's hard for us to get our mind around living in a society where the leaders give a damn about the citizens. We don't live in such a society. It's unfortunate. And I would love to sit here and tell you all that we're living in an ideal society, but to tell you the truth, I don't see that and I know you don't. We don't live in a society. But the Kshatriya, the kings and the rulers of society, are meant to keep the citizens free from harm. Not to simply take their money and run off with it. This is not a, a lesson here in government. But we learn from Bhagavad Gita and we learn from the Bhagavad. We learn what are the ideals which mankind should experience in human society. Remember the framework? We're talking about a discourse that happened 5,000 years ago at a time when there were kings and rulers in society who were the protectors of the citizens. 
considering the fact that you are one of those protectors of the citizens, he's telling Arjuna, you should know that there is no better engagement for you than fighting on religious principles. And so there is no need for hesitation. If there is a murderer, if there is a thief, if there is someone setting fire to the house, someone raping your wife, there are certain times where you got to take a stand. And this is one of those times. Arjuna's family has been treated unfairly by rulers with malicious intent. So now, he's come down off the position of Gyan, and in these verses we're going to cover tonight, he's dealing with Arjuna according to his time, place, and personality. O Partha, happy are the Kshatriyas to whom such fighting opportunities come unsought, opening for them the door of the heavenly planets. Now we notice in these first verses, what Krishna is doing is he's actually encouraging Arjuna by giving him swakarma. Perform the right thing and you get a great result. So let's look at this, Arjuna. You were thinking you would get a bad result, but let me tell you how by doing your duty as a fighter, you're going to get a good result. Arjuna's argument was, well, if I kill my family members who are on the other, uh, in opposition to me, and if I kill my teacher and my elders, that's not going to be good. Here, Krishna is going to use the knowledge of Dharma, of karmic reaction, and tell him, how doing his duty under these circumstances is proper dharma. And what the result will be for him and even his adversaries. And it's all good. Why? Because it's all done under the direction of dharma. Happy. You should be happy. If you're a, if you're a warrior and you are killing people who are doing harm to society, that's good dharma. That's good. And you're going to get a good result. And even those people who broke the laws of dharma, the exploiters who are on the other side of the battlefield, they're going to get a good result too. What you're doing is in their best interest. That's the nature of dharma. Everyone benefits. Even the thief and the murderer. If, however, you do not perform your religious duty of fighting, then you will certainly incur sin for neglecting your duties and thus lose your reputation as a fighter. There's no good for you if you neglect to do your dharmic duty as a warrior, as a leader of society, as someone who gives protections to society. It's no good. Nothing good's going to come to you. People will speak of your infamy, and for a respectable person, dishonor is worth in death. Wow, it's really a different mood now, isn't it? Only just a few verses ago, we were talking about the soul and permeating the body, and never did you not exist, all this high. And now he's dealing with Arjuna on a different mood altogether, isn't he? The great generals 
who have highly esteemed your name and fame will think that you have left the battlefield out of fear only, and thus they will consider you insignificant. Your reputation is going to be ruined. And I know, and what's, what's implied here in this verse is, all right, Ajuna, I know and I heard your argument that you were so compassionate. But a Kshatriya does not show compassion in this situation. And plus, Kshatriyas aren't known for compassion. That's not their nature. Their nature is protection. They give protection. Compassion is shown by the Brahmins. A different class of men. That's not your duty in society. So you think that those people on the other, those other people in the battlefield, they're going to appreciate your compassion? No, sorry. It's not going to happen. Because the only thing that another warrior sees when a warrior leaves a battlefield is cowardice. That's all he sees. Your enemies will describe you in many unkind words and scorn your ability. Arjuna has a history. If you've read the Mahabharata or know any of the stories from Mahabharata, Arjuna's reputation is impeccable. And he is known, he's even defeated Shiva in battle. So much so that Shiva gave him, what was that weapon you had me look up? Huh? Yes. A, a ver the most powerful Brahmastra that's used at the time of annihilation of the universe. O son of Kunti, either you will be killed on the battlefield and attain the heavenly planets. Again, you're going to get good karma. You're going to go to heaven. If you're killed on the battlefield. Or you will conquer and enjoy the earthly kingdom. You conquer your enemy, and when in these battles, when you conquered the enemy, you got his land, you got all of his valuables. Even on the battlefield, they would go up, and you've seen pictures, movies, I'm sure, where the other people were taking the shoes, the belts, the knives, the guns, whatever they could find, any money that was in the pockets of the dead people. Well, this this point, the time here was much different. And the people that were on the battlefield all had golden armor, gems, and helmets of gold. I mean, if you won a battle, the booty was profound. So is this saying that it's a win-win situation? Yes, it is. He's going to go on, and what's he say? He's saying that even your enemies, this is a gateway to heaven for them. If you defeat them... You've eliminated whatever bad karma they had and they get to advance. Yes, ma'am. I mean, it seems like this is how holy wars, as we know them in today's, you like, like that, take it from the Quran, you know, if you kill so many people, you get so many virgins in heaven and all this stuff. It seems like this could also easily be used as a justification for your point is right your point is well taken there the point here is the supreme lord is speaking himself about following the laws of dharma if you have religion that that is following dharma as it's coming down from the transcendental realm for the benefit of humanity yes you're right the question is 
are all the religions of the world that profess to be following God and profess to be following Dharma actually doing so. Without political motivation in it. Without exploitive motivation, yes. So yes, it's it's there's a quandary there. When do we know? We can see even in the, in our in our current environment on this planet there are different religions and they have different conception what is right and what is wrong what is dharma what is not dharma what is god where does he live what is that's there those conceptions will always be there in human society it's our duty we have a duty we have it's not that we can just follow blindly whatever religious doctrine is there we have a duty to seek out and krishna says in bhagavad gita tadvidi pranipate na pariprashne sevaya if you really want to know the absolute truth seek out a truly qualified teacher guru and take instruction from him he can give you instruction because he's seen the truth These are decisions we have to make for ourselves. Where is truth? Where is the truth of spirituality that moves me to the to such a point that I have I put my faith in that knowledge? I can't make those decisions for you. I wouldn't expect to. I can give you what I have learned from who I put my faith in and who I feel that is giving me knowledge that's allowing me to actually experience spiritual advancement without any doubt and I know you can go to the holy rollers and you're going to hear men and they're going to scream and we know and they're going to beat the podium and and profess the same thing this knowledge you have to arrive at yourself and as we continue in bhagavad gita there will be some certain characteristics of transcendental knowledge which hopefully will ring true if they ring true come back again and again and again and hear more and if in hearing more and associating more you actually experience a revolution in your existence there is some actual experience of your true spirit spiritual self a true experience in loving exchange with the supreme then maybe you found the right thing that's the nature of this krishna consciousness movement where this is a science of self realization it's a science it's presented purely it's coming down purely through disciplic succession and it's coming from the most pure source without adulteration and mental speculation without being tinged by the faults of our human existence we have imperfect senses we become illusioned we have a tendency to cheat we make mistakes these are our flaws how can we with these flaws truly ri- arrive at the right conclusion we can't but someone who's experienced the right conclusion 
because he has seen the truth, he can give us this knowledge. Now we've gone through a series of texts here for tonight's class where Krishna has put things in the perspective of Arjuna's position in life. Now, there's a change again in the dialogue. And what's the change? How do we see the change being put forward? Prior to text 38, prior to that text 38, what Krishna told Arjuna was, these are positive material benefits of performing your duty or not performing your duty. All knowledge on the material platform associated with the body. If you do the right thing, even if you die or live, you're going to get a good result. You're going to go to the heavenly planets. You're going to get a lot of, a lot of wealth. Uh, the people you fight against, if you kill them, you're going to be doing what's best for them. Again, looking at material result. Now, in text number 38... Krishna begins to again introduce knowledge of a higher level of existence. Do thou fight for the sake of fighting without considering happiness or distress, loss or gain, victory or defeat, and by so doing, you shall never incur sin. Whenever we act for some result, then there's a reaction. So even if you fight to go to the heavenly planets, well, it's a great reaction. You're following Dharma, and Dharma's being good to you, and you're going to go to heaven. Or if you win the war, you're going to, you're going to get a nice kingdom here on earth. But there's some material result. So now the Supreme Lord is again giving direction to pull Arjuna back into seeing things from a higher perspective. And he begins here in text 38. And then 39. Thus far I have described this knowledge to you through analytical study. What was the analytical study? Again, text 12 through 30 dealt with the nature of our true spirit self. And how to understand that nature. Now listen as I explain it in terms of working without fruit of results, O son of Prita. When you act in such knowledge, you can free yourself from the bondage of works. Now let me tell you, we've talked about what the, what the reaction of acts are, but that's, that's on the material platform. You're going to heaven winning a kingdom, doing, the, doing what's best for everybody in the situation, including the wrongdoers who are fighting against you in battle, they're going to heaven. So if you've read the verses and read the poor ports, you understand all these points in the material position. In closing, I want to read the poor port to the, some of the poor port, not the complete poor port, but some of the poor port from uh, Triparari Swami because he gives us a great perspective on what Krishna is doing here and how Krishna is going to develop the spiritual transcendental themes of Bhagavad Gita. So this is 
Tripurari's purport to text number, some of his purport, to text number 39. However, here Krishna realizes that Arjuna is not capable of assimilating knowledge of the self without undergoing actions that will purify his heart. For he is absorbed in worldly concerns, even though religious in nature. What's being said here? Think back. Arjuna was putting forth so many concerns and arguments. But they were all based on his material situation. All the analytical knowledge from 12 to 30 of the spirit soul, Krishna saw that he needed to, to back off. And that's what Tripurari is explaining. Thus he advised him to engage in yoga. Here the word yoga implies the spirit of yoga, selflessness and sacrifice, the mother of love. While action in relation to sense objects with a view to enjoy them gives rise to karmic bondage, one cannot artificially divorce oneself from action itself. Indeed, as we shall see, such artificially Artificiality in yoga is condemned. In its stead, Krishna recommends proper action in the spirit of detachment. He tells Arjuna that by acting in yoga, he will free himself from the bondage of karma and realize the self that is intellectually understood through the introspection involved in Sankhya. A little thick there, but I'll explain it. The detached spirit of this yoga was characterized in the previous verse. i read that sentence again. Arjuna, that by acting in yoga, he will free himself from the bondage of karma and realize the self. In other words, by acting in this karma yoga and acting by not desiring the fruit of his activity, if we can work in life, that builds in our being a foundation whereby we can begin to live our life according to its, our true spiritual nature. But if we're not there yet, we have to continue with our activities but we have to continue the activities that we did before wanting to taste the fruit of that activity. We have to continue to work, but we have to do it giving up the fruit. And in giving up the fruit, we begin to understand the significance of our spiritual being. Does that make sense? Giving up the fruit, we can begin to to build a foundation for transcendental knowledge, the knowledge of the self. With the introduction of yoga in this verse, the Gita begins to speak about experiential spiritual life in practice. Unless we begin, unless we take to some activity, unless we change what we're doing, we are not going to be able to wrap our consciousness, or our heart around our true spiritual loving existence. 
in, trans in transcendence. Does that make sense? We've got to take our claws out of this material world if we want to begin or desire to make any progress in understanding our spiritual self. That's what this guru, the spiritual master, the prioracharyas, all these scriptures do is they give us that knowledge whereby we can take to activities. But if we don't take to the activities, if we remain in the same exploitive mentality, if we continue to believe that everything that we're, everything that we desire can be had by satisfying these senses which are temporary, it's going to be difficult for us. But guess what? I'll tell you a little secret. Even if you can't pull your claws out, if you continue to hear Shravanam, that's the beginning of spiritual knowledge, even if you can't change, even if you are so attached, you can't change your activities. Devotional service begins simply by hearing about this knowledge, about your spirit self. And from there, it evolves. Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smarnam, Padasevanam, Archanam, Vandanam, Dashyam, Sakyam, Atmanivedanam. Step by step, we will be able to take to spiritual practice. Just continue to hear. I'll stop there. Any questions? One question. Yes. Last night, uh, uh, Amy was talking about uh, how is it we know so much about Krishna and very little about Christ. What don't we know about Christ? Well, there's so much more written. I mean, well, that's of course. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when you went to kindergarten? How many books did you have to carry home? No, when you went to college? A lot. Anyway, there is a wealth of knowledge in, in Christian and Catholic mythology. I mean, there is a lot more knowledge there, but it's just not... The general public has very little interest in it. Okay, so like, you know, we don't know anything. the only thing we know about Christ is the last two years of his life. Yeah. You know, it's like we don't know what his pastimes are or his childhood was like. Well, that's because... You know. The the position of Jesus came as a teacher. He didn't come as a as a as he didn't come as Krishna himself. Yeah. He's an expansion of Krishna. He's Saktavish Avatar. He's in this you know, he's a very elevated soul, but he didn't come to attract humanity by his activities. He came simply to attract humanity by his directions. And by the little bit of example he gave. Does that make sense? Yeah. Anything else? Go ahead. Maybe. You know. Well, that we don't judge by that. What we judge by is the fruit of the tree. Is the fruit of their tree the protection of the members of the society that they're the head of? You judge for yourself. I can tell you based on the Vedas, and we can look at the histories of the history of the Bhagavad, and it gives us knowledge of leaders that were they were willing to give up their life just to uphold the dignity of their kingdom and their position. Arjuna was even in that position at one point. 
where a Brahmin had come and 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 claimed that uh, you know his sons his sons had died year after year uh, because uh, the leadership in the society was uh, was faulty. Didn't look to his own karma. He said, "Hey, listen, I'm living in your kingdom, and my children are dying. Every they're born and then they die for some reason. So therefore, you must not be doing your job right." Arjuna? Yeah, and Arjuna said... So, I mean, he had four sons. I don't know if he had any daughters. No, no, no. This is not Arjuna's sons. This is a Brahmin that was living within the kingdom of Yudhisthira. And, and, And Arjuna said, when your next son is born, if I cannot protect him from death, I will die myself. Do you see that in the leadership in modern society? You have to judge for yourself if you see the highest grade of, of concern and care and complete protection by the leaders. I don't care what religion they profess to follow. We a, judge by the result. There's an alternative that you can become a devotee and become protected by Krishna himself. Or, you know, I mean, I mean that's really the... That's nice, but still... Devotees are so compassionate that we want to give knowledge to humanity whereby they can also rectify the all of society. And if we can spread this knowledge of Krishna consciousness and people actually see the merit of, of this transcendental movement, uh, even if there's 1% of the people that can take to this understanding, the whole of society can be made peaceful and prosperous again. And all the all the turmoil that we're now experiencing in the environment can be put to rest. <laughs>